This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, uh, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Um, well, we continue with our mini-series, The Reluctant Warriors, and we turn to some episodes of the Columbia Workshop. The Columbia Workshop was a series that had its birth out of the Columbia Experimental Laboratory uh, Radio Program. Uh, and really looking at uh, different ways to do uh, radio drama. Really, uh, radio drama was, is kind of uh, perhaps the newest field of all uh, in drama because you can trace a lot of the stuff that's done in movies and television back to the theater. But uh, the imagination, this uh, theater of the mind without any uh, visual aids was really new with radio. And so they experimented with a lot of different methods and did a lot of uh, different things with radio, some that weren't work well, some that didn't. The series also tended to be um, a little bit um, more edgy or uh, avant-garde in the choice of its uh, programming, playing some things that were uh, more controversial and unlikely to be heard on another uh, anthology series. I think that's definitely the case with uh, today's programs. I do want to say before we get into them that these are both uh, very emotional stories and really not intended uh, for kids. Uh, certainly I respect parental um, guidance and choice, but parental guidance really strongly suggested and I would um, I would probably not recommend the second story for any kids under 13. I'll keep my comments to a minimum. Like I said, these are very emotional stories, and I could go quite a bit into my opinions on them, but I think for this point, the important thing is to get a grasp of what people were listening to and hearing on the radio in the 1930s. One thing that astounded me when I was doing some research on this um, is that more um, major uh, anti-war dramas were made in the 1930s than the 1960s, which indicates the type of uh, mark that World War I had left on America. One such play was Bury the Dead, which opened at the Ethel Barrymore Theater in New York to great uh, critical acclaim. And uh, we will go ahead and we will take a listen. The radio adaptation from May 28th, 19. 38. Today, Germany protested sharply to the Czechoslovakian government regarding alleged frontier violations. Morning in Canton, China, Japanese bombers killed 600 and injured nearly a thousand men, women, and children. This afternoon, the British steamer Great End was bombed and sunk in Valencia Harbor. Tonight, as millions of Americans prepare to celebrate Memorial Day, a day consecrated to the memory of our fallen heroes, the Columbia Workshop presents Bury the Dead. Bury the Dead. 
imagine they stink. Let's bury them in a hurry. What do you think you smell like, Cap? You've been lying out dead in the hot sun for two days. The lily of the valley? Keep digging. Hey, this is deep enough. What are we supposed to do? Dig right down to hell and deliver them over face hands? The man's entitled to six feet of dirt over his face. We got to show respect for the dead. Keep digging. They stink. Bury them. That's a fine way to talk in the presence of death. Ah, come on. Let's put them away. What's the difference? They'll just be turned up anyway the next time the artillery wakes up. All right, all right. You're in such a hurry to put them in. Put them in neat there. File them away alphabetically, boys. You may want to refer to them later. Yeah, this one's just a kid. Bury him. He stinks. Come on, let's pile the dirt in on them. Okay, boys, shovel it in. Hey, wait a minute. I heard a groan. I heard a groan. Shut up, soldier. Stop it, I heard a groan. What about it? Can you have a war without groans? Keep quiet. It's coming from down there in the grave. Hold it, somebody down there groaned. Oh, my God. He's alive. Why the hell don't they get these things straight? Pull them out! There. It came from there. Another one. I heard it. Another one standing up, standing up in his grave. All of them. All six of them standing up. Standing up in their grave. What do you want? Don't bury it. Hey, let's get out of here. There we are. I'll shut the place, man, no more. Don't bury it. We don't want to be buried. Hurry on, men. Hurry on, I said. Captain! Captain! Where the hell is the captain? I'm getting I'm getting don't go away. Stay with us. We want to hear the sound of men talking. Don't be afraid of us. We're not really different from you. We're dead. That's all. That's all. Are you afraid of six dead men? You who've lived with the dead? There's so many dead and eating your bread by their side when there was no time to bury them, and you were hungry. Are we different from you? An ounce of soul lead in our hearts, and none in yours. A small difference between us. Tomorrow or the next day, the lead will be yours, too. Talk is our equal. That's the kid. Say something to us. Forget the grave as we would forget it. I'm not drunk, Captain. No, not crazy, either. They just got up all together and looked at us. Look. Look for yourself, Captain. You see? I see. I was expecting it to happen someday. So many men each day. It's too bad it had to happen in my company. Gentlemen, at ease. telling the generals what I saw. You're not making this up, Captain? No, General. Have you any proof, Captain? The four men in the burial detail and the sergeant, sir. In time of war, Captain, men see strange things. Ghosts, for instance. They weren't ghosts. They were men killed two days standing in their graves and looking at me. Captain, you're becoming tried. I'm sorry, sir. It was a trying sight. I saw them. What are the generals going to do about it? Don't stand there croaking. What are the generals going to do about it? Have them examined by a doctor. If they're alive, send them to a hospital. They're dead. Bury them. It's very simple. 
Each of these six men is dead. Yes, sir. Then I don't see what all this fuss is about, Captain. They're dead. Bury them. I'm afraid, sir, that that can't be done. They're standing in their graves. They refuse to be buried. Do we have to go into that again? We have the doctor's report. They're dead. Aren't they, doctor? Yes, sir. Then they aren't standing in their graves refusing to be buried, are they? Yes, sir. Doctor, would you know a dead man if you saw one? The symptoms are easily recognized, sir. We have witness certificates from a registered surgeon that these men are dead. Bury them. Don't waste no more time on it. You hear me, Captain? Yes, sir. I'm afraid, sir, that I must refuse to bury these men. That's insubordination, I'm sir. sorry, sir. It's not within the line of my military duties to bury men against their will. If the general will only think for a moment, he'll see that this is impossible. <clears throat> the uh, captain's right. It might get back to Congress. God only knows what they'd make of it. What are we going to do then? Uh, <clears throat> Captain, uh, what do you suggest? Stop the war. Y- Captain! Take the story, Chief. Straight as a rifle barrel, to help me. Listen, I've been running a newspaper longer than you've been shaving, and I never heard anything like it before. Something new. Something's happening. Somebody's waking up. It didn't happen. Listen, I got it straight. Those guys just stood up in the grave and said, you can't bury us. To help me, it's true. Get me McCready at the War Department. It's an awfully funny story. It's the story of the year, the story of the century, the biggest story of all time. Men getting up with bullets in their hearts and refusing to be buried. Who do they think they are? Is he... Hello, McCready. This is Henson of the New York... Yeah. Listen, McCready, I got this story about the six guys who refused to be... Yeah. Okay, McCready, if that's the way the government feels about it... Yeah. Well, what does he say? No. Holy... But people got a right to know. In time of war, people have a right to know nothing. been asked by the generals to talk to you. To talk to you not as your your former captain, but as a friend. To talk to you man to man. My work is not this this soldiering. I'm a philosopher, a scientist. My uniform is a pair of eyeglasses, my usual weapons, test tubes, and books. At a time like this, perhaps we need philosophy, need science. First, I must say that your general has ordered you to lie down. We used to have a general. No more. They sold us. What do you mean, sold you? Sold us for 25 yards of bloody mud. A life for four yards of bloody mud. We had to take that hill. General's orders, your soldiers, you understand? We understand now. The real estate operations of generals are always carried on at boom prices. A life for four yards of bloody mud. Gold is cheaper and rare jewels, pearls and rubies. I fell in the first yard. I caught on the wire, hung there while the machine gun stitched me through the middle. I was there at the end and thought I had life in my hands for another day. But a shell came, 
My life dripped into the mud. Ask the general how he'd like to be dead at 20. 20, General! 20! Other men are dead. Two men. Men must die for their country's sake. If not you, then others. This has always been. Men died for Pharaoh and Caesar in Rome 2,000 years ago and more. And went into the earth with their wounds. Why not you? Men. Even the men who died for Pharaoh and Caesar and Rome must in the end, before all hope is gone, discover that a man can die happy and be contentedly buried only when he dies for himself or for a cause that is his own and not Pharaoh's or Caesar's or Rome's. I... I see, gentlemen. You got any suggestions, Captain? Only one thing left to do now, General. Get their women. <laughs> what good will their women do? The women will fight the General's battle for them in the best possible way, through their emotions. It's the General's best bet. Women, of course. Gad, you've got it there, Captain. Get out their women. Get them in a hurry. We'll have those boys underground in a jiffy. Women! My God, I never thought of it. Send out the call for women. <clears throat> Ladies, you are all gold star mothers, wives, and sweethearts. You want to win this war. I know it. Now, here's your chance to do your part. A glorious part. You're fighting for your homes, your children, your sisters' lives, your country's honor. You are fighting for religion, for love, for all decent human life. Wars can be fought and won only when the dead are buried and forgotten. How can we forget the dead who refuse to be buried? We must forget them. There's no room in this world for dead men. They will lead only to the bitterest unhappiness for you, for them, for everybody. Go, ladies. Do your duty. Your country waits upon you. Did it hurt much? How's the kid, Beth? Oh, he's fine. He talks now. He weighs 28 pounds. He'll be a big boy. Did it hurt much, John? How's the phone? Is it going all right, Beth? It's going. The rye was heavy this year. Did it hurt much, John? What color do you have? Blonde. Like you. What are you going to do, John? I would like to see the kid in the farm. They say you're dead, John. I'm dead, all right. Then how is it? I don't know. Maybe there's too many of us under the ground now. Maybe the earth can't stand it no more. you got to change crops sometime. What are you doing here, Beth? They asked me to get you to let yourself be buried. What do you think? You're dead, John. Well. What's the good? I don't know. Only there's something in me, dead or no dead, that won't let me be buried. You were a queer man, John. I never did understand what you were about. 
But what's the good? Beth, I never talked so that I could get you to understand what I wanted while I... Well, before. Maybe now. There's a couple of things, Beth, that I ain't had enough of. Easy things. Things like the fuzz of green over a field in spring where you planted wheat and it started to come out overnight. Things like taking a cold drink of water out of the well after you boiled in the sun all afternoon and feeling the water go down and down into you, cooling you off all through from the inside out. Things like seeing a blonde kid all busy and serious Playing with a dog on the shady side of a house. There ain't nothing like that down here in the grave, Beth. Everything has its place, John. Dead men have their. My place is on the earth, Beth. My business is with the top of the earth, not the underside. There was a trap that yanked me down. I'm not smart, Beth, and I'm easy trapped. But I can tell now. I got some stories to tell farmers before I'm through. I'm going to tell him. We could bury you home, John, near the creek. It's cool there and quiet, and there's always a breeze in the trees. Uh, later, Beth, when I had my fill of looking, smelling, and talking, a man should be able to walk into his grave, not be dragged into it. All I feel, and the kid, with you walking around like, like that. I won't bother you. I won't even come near you. Even so, just knowing... I can't help it. This is something bigger than you, bigger than me. It's something I ain't had nothing to do with starting. Out of the earth like... like a weed, a flower. Pay for it. You were a good husband, John. But a kid and me. Won't you let me die? Go home, Beth. Go home. My baby's face. One before you. You don't want to see it, Mom, I know. Didn't they tell you what happened to me? I asked the doctor. He said a piece of shell hit the side of your head, but even so... Don't ask to see it, Mom. Baby, listen to me. I'm your mother. Let them bury you. There's something peaceful and done about a grave. I was only 20, Mom. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't seen anything. I never even had a girl. I spent 20 years practicing to be a man. And then they killed me. Oh, being a kid's no good, Mom. You try to get over it as soon as you can. You don't really live while you're a kid. You mark time waiting. I waited, Mom. But then I got cheated. They made a speech and played a trumpet, dressed me in a uniform, and then they killed me. Oh, baby. Baby, there's no peace this way. Please, let them bury you. No, Mom. Then, once, now, so as I can remember, let me see your face, my baby's face. Mom. 
the shell hit close to me. You don't want to look at a man when a shell hit close to him. Let me see your face, Jimmy. All right, Mom. Look. I'm Catherine Driscoll. Uh, I'm looking for my brother. He's dead. Are you my brother? No. I'm looking for my brother. My name is Catherine Driscoll. No. Are you my... I'm looking for my brother. My name is Catherine Driscoll. His name is... I'm Tom Driscoll. Hello. I don't know you. After 15 years and... What do you want, Catherine? You don't know me either, do you? No. It's funny, I coming here to talk to a dead man, to try to get him to do something because once long ago he was my brother. They talked me into it. I don't know how to begin. You'll be wasting your words, Catherine. They should have asked someone nearer to you. Someone who loved you. Only they couldn't find anybody. I was the nearest, they said. That's so. You were the nearest. And I, 15 years away. Poor Tom. It couldn't have been a sweet life you led those 15 years. It wasn't. You were poor, too. Sometimes I begged for meals. I wasn't lucky. And yet you want to go back. Is there no more sense in the dead, Tom, than in the living? Maybe not. Maybe there's no sense in either living or dying. But we can't believe that. You're dead. Your fight's over. The fight's never over. I got things to say to people now. To people who nurse big machines. The people who swing shovels and the people whose babies die with big bellies and rotten bones. I got things to say to the people who leave their lives behind them and pick up guns to fight in somebody else's wars. Important things, big things. Big enough to lift me out of the grave right back under the earth into the middle of men just because I got the voice to say to them, if God could lift Jesus... Tom, have you lost religion, too? I got a religion. I got a religion that wants to take heaven out of the clouds and plant it right here on the earth, where some of us can get a slice of it. It isn't as pretty as heaven. There aren't any streets of gold and there aren't any angels. And we'd have to worry about sewerage and railroad schedules in it. And we don't guarantee everybody would be happy in it. But it'd be right here, stuck in the mud of this earth. And there wouldn't be any entrance requirements like dying to get into it. Dead or alive, I see that. And it won't let me rest. I was the first one to get up in this black grave of ours because that idea wouldn't let me rest. I pulled the others with me. That's my job, pulling the others. They only know what they want. I know how they can get it. There's still the edge of arrogance on you. I got heavens in my two hands to give to men. There's reason for arrogance. I came to ask you to lie down and let them bury you. It seems foolish now, but... It's foolish, Catherine. I didn't get up from the dead to go back to the dead. I'm going to the living now. Fifteen years. 
It's a good thing your mother isn't alive. How can you say goodbye to a dead brother, Tom? Wish him an easy grave, Catherine. A green and pleasant grave to you, Tom, when finally, finally, green and pleasant. Say something. What do you want me to say, Martha? Something, anything. Only talk. You give me the shiver standing there like that. Looking like that. Even now, after this, there's nothing that we can talk to each other about. Oh, don't talk like that. You talk like that enough when you're alive. Not my fault that you're dead. All right, Martha. What's the difference now? Well, I just wanted to let you know... Now I suppose you're going to come back and sit around and ruin my life altogether. No. I'm not going to come back. Then what are you... I... I couldn't explain it to you, Martha. No. Oh, no. You couldn't explain it to your wife. But you could explain it to that dirty bunch of loafers down at that old garage of yours. And you could explain it to those bums in the saloon on F Street. I guess I could. Things seemed to be clearer when I was talking to the boys when I worked over a job, and I managed to talk so people could get to understand what I meant down at the saloon on F Street. It was nice standing there on Saturday night, the beer in front of you, and a man or two that understood your own language next to you, talking oh, about Babe Ruth, or the new Orleans system that Ford was putting out. Or the chances of us getting into the war. Yes, you were happy those times. But you weren't happy in your own home. Oh, I know, even if you don't say it. Well, I wasn't happy either. Living in three rotten rooms that the sun didn't hit five times a year. Watching the roaches make picnics on the walls. Happy. I did my best. Eighteen fifty a week, your best. Eighteen fifty. Condensed milk. A two-dollar pair of shoes once a year. $500 insurance. Chopped meat. Oh, how I hate chopped meat. $18.50. Being afraid of everything. Of the landlord, the gas company. Dead stiff all the time and getting nothing out of life. Why shouldn't I have had a baby? Who says I shouldn't have had a baby? $18.50? No baby. I would have liked a kid. Would you? You never said anything. It's good to have a kid. Kid, somebody to talk to. First, in the beginning, I, I thought we'd have a kid someday. A kid would have helped. Oh, no, it wouldn't. Kids don't help the poor. Nothing helps the poor. Oh, no, I'm too smart to have six dirty kids on 1850. Now, now it's worse. You're $20 a month. You hire yourself out to be killed and I get $20 a month. What's the war to me that I have to sit home alone at night with nobody to talk to? What's the war to you that you had to go off and get That's yourself... That's why I'm standing up now, Martha. Yeah. That's just like you. To wait until it's too late. There's plenty for live men to stand up for. All right. Stand up. It's about time you talk back. It's about time all you poor, miserable 1850 guys stood up for themselves and their wives. 
and the kids they can't have. Tell them all to stand up. Tell them. Tell them. It didn't work. Now you've got to put it in. I knew it would work. Put it over the headlines. It didn't work. Put it in the headlines. They won't be buried. It didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. They're still standing. Somebody do something. Sure, they're standing. From now on, they'll always stand. You can't bury soldiers anymore. They stink. Bury them. What'll happen to our war? We can't let anything happen to our war. The day of judgment is at hand. File them away in alphabetical order. Keep it quiet. My husband, my brother, my baby. We've got to put them down. Never, never, never. You can't put them down. Put one down and ten will spring up like weeds in an old garden. Use lead on them. Lead put them down once, then it'll do it again. Bury them. Bury the dead. The dead have arisen. Now let the living rise. Singing. Oh. Do something. Do something. Extra, they're still standing. Here you are. Do something. Alex, this isn't 1918. This is today. See what happens tomorrow. Anything can happen now. Anything. Let me have a machine gun. Sergeant, machine gun. I'll show them. This is what they've needed. All right, all right. Get it over with. Hurry. But keep it quiet. I want to crew to man this gun. Now you... Come over here. And you, you know what to do. I'll get the command to fire. Not to me, you won't. This is over me. I won't touch that gun. None of us will. We didn't hire out to be no butcher of dead men. Do your own shopping. You'll be court-martialed. You'll be dead by tomorrow morning. Be careful, General. I may take a notion to come up like these guys. That's the smartest thing I've seen in this whole war, and I like it. What do you say, buddy? It's about time. I'll say it is. What, you insubordinate? Oh, stop it, stop it. Bad enough as it is. Let him alone. Do it yourself. All by myself? Yes, yes. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. As soon as I get this gun to working. Never, never, never. Let me see your face. Oh, you remember the glass of beer with a couple of bums on Saturday night. A green and pleasant grave. Did it hurt much, John? Four yards of bloody mud. I fell in the first yard. Never, never, never. Tell them all to stand up. Tell them. Tell them. General, look. They're coming out of the grave. They're coming toward us. Sink him a thread! Fire! Fire, you bloody fool! No good. Stop them. 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 just heard the Columbia Workshop's production of the famous American war play, Bury the Dead, by Irwin Shaw. Bury the Dead was adapted for radio and directed by William N. Robeson. Next week, the workshop will present an experiment in native rhythms in its production of Tlunga Man Fine Gar, a radio play of British West Africa, written and directed by John Carlyle. In this production, native African drummers will present for the first time a demonstration of their talking drums, the most primitive form of wireless communication. 
Stronger Man, Fine Girl, which means Strong Man, Fine Girl, will be heard next week at this same time, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. William March was one of many authors that gained a critical claim and a fame for the publication of a popular anti-war novel, Company K, in the 1930s. This short story is much along the same lines, but focused on a single moment of time. I get a warning that the contents of this play are very disturbing. So with that said, let's go ahead and take a listen to Nine Prisoners. Columbia Workshop presents Nine Prisoners by William March, adopted for radio by Brian J. Byrne. My name's Julius Pelton. I don't mean a thing to you. I don't mean a thing to anybody else. And it means less to me. There was a time when I was proud of that name. Proud of a lot of things. My background. My character. My country. My country. I guess that was my greatest pride. But all that's changed. Now I'm proud of nothing. I'm interested in nothing because, you see, I'm a body. It probably sounds scurry to you, but that's what I am. A body. A thing without a soul. It wasn't always that way. I had a soul in those days when I had something to be proud of. It was my pride that lost me my soul. My pride of my country. That's why I enlisted and did my bit in the war. <laughs> the war. I came out of it all in one piece. I was a lucky guy, that's what they said. But I lost more than an arm, a leg, a head, all my life. It don't make much difference where it happened. It was a long way from here on the edge of a wood. To our left was a gravel pit, long abandoned, with one narrow opening... Back of that, a ravine ran straight for a hundred yards. Then it stopped blindly against a bank of clay. That's where I stopped, too. Where I stopped being the man I was. Where I lost all that makes the flesh more than so many pounds of beef. I just ordered my men to dig in. Our first battalion was to pass over our heads to continue the attack. In the gravel pit were 22 prisoners taken that day. We just about finished digging when the first men started to jump over us. All right, fellas, that's deep enough. Here comes the first battalion, Sarge. Well, get your heads down or those guys will kick your brains out as you go. Watch it! Down, everybody! Boy, they seem to be all legs and arms jumping over our heads like that. Yeah, they're nimble, sure enough. But most of those legs and arms will be slung all over the countryside in a few minutes. How many of them guys you figure will come through? And a fight like this is only one out of every three. Jeez, one in three. Two down for everyone up. Look at them go, like they're in a hurry to get it over. Funny when you think of it, isn't it? Two out of three. One over. Two over. For keeps. Here comes the lucky step, the third. One, two, 
Lucky three. Gee, it's like there was a big grave on the other side of this trench, and every two guys was jumping into it. Yeah. One, two, lucky three. Well, where they made us digging here? I don't know, but thank your stars you're not going on with the first battalion. We don't our share. Uh, that's what you think. Don't worry, they'll fix up some sort of a mess for us. We'll detail the goddamn prisons we got over there in the center. Here comes the last of the battalion. That's good. We're next getting stiff and being cramped down in this shallow trench. All right, men, you can relax now. Hey, Sarge, when do we eat? That belly of yours sure gives you a lot of trouble in evidence. Well, I'm hungry. Sergeant, Sergeant Belton. Yes, Captain Matlock. Have you counted noses yet? How many men have you lost? Four, sir. Mm, That's not bad. Could be worse. Yes, sir. You've nearly two dozen prisoners in the sandpit, haven't you? Exactly 22, sir. That's bad. You're taking too many prisoners, Sergeant. They're a problem. Yes, sir, they sure are. What do you think we're going to do with them? I was wondering, sir. Some of them are pretty badly wounded. I wasn't thinking about that much. Healthy or otherwise, they present a problem. Can't take them along with us, and we can't let them roam behind our lines. No, sir. Something has to be done. Couldn't we send them back with our guards, sir? The wounded ones especially. No, that's impossible. We'll be moving up pretty soon. We'll need all of our men. Rofi and Carter will have to go back anyway, so they're pretty badly banged up. They could take... No, the... Sergeant. It's a very simple solution to the whole thing. Yes, sir? The easiest thing would be to shoot them. Shoot them, sir? Yes. We could train a machine gun on the gravel pit. That's the simplest way. That'd be simple enough, sir, and it would get them off your hands. Yes, it would. I'm afraid the gap is too narrow. Besides, it dug in. Pretty hard for our gunners. Well, that won't do. Can't do it in the sand pit. You'd better take them up the ravine. Do the job there. But, Captain, you... You don't mean that, do you, sir? Don't mean it. What do you think I'm talking for? But they're prisoners, unarmed, helpless. Well, what would you do with them? We're going to advance in a few hours. Why, I... Well, I... I don't know right now, sir. Then mine is the only solution. Take the men up the ravine and... Good God, sir, that's murder, cold-blooded murder. It's war, Sergeant. Seems to matter a little way which way men die. The fact is that they must die in war. But not like that, sir. Why, I couldn't... Yes, sir. How long have you been in the service? Twenty years, sir. Long enough to know that you should obey orders without questioning. Yes, sir. Better take Corporal Foster and his squad. Use automatic rifles. I think Foster's the right man to do it. Yes, sir. Foster's just the man for a job like that. Then you better tell him right away. Have him finish the job before nightfall. Good luck to you. Do a clean job. Yes, sir. Glad, Sergeant. You look blue around the gills. Captain, give you some bad news? Yeah. Yeah. Lord help me, I've been in the army since I was a kid. I've seen plenty to turn a man's stomach. But this is raw. This is the rawest thing I ever heard of. My name's Clarence Foster. I was Corporal Foster then. There's a big difference between Clarence Foster and Corporal Foster. In fact, I'm hardly able to hook one up with the other now. You see, I cut my teeth almost on war propaganda. I was told how glorious war was. (laughs) They've played a dirty trick on guys like me. They led me to believe all the stuff they wrote. Now, they say just the opposite. The propaganda is for peace. So war is a terrible thing. The things that were so right then are so wrong now. It makes a guy feel that nothing at all is right. 
It ain't a pleasant thing to be turned from a hero to a beast just by the things that guides write down on paper. It's taken me all these years to understand just how Sergeant Pelton felt when he came to relay the captain's orders. I couldn't understand then. He was pale and trembling, acting like a human being and him a soldier. I didn't get the guy at all. He called me aside out of earshot of my squad. He looked so scared I wanted to laugh. Good God, Foster, don't stand there like I'd only told you it was time for grub. Don't you realize what I said? Sure, sure, Sarge. You just told me the captain wants me to kill 22 unarmed prisoners. And it means no more to you than any order? Like any other order? Certainly not. They're the enemy, ain't they? The guys were fighting. We're not fighting the men in that sand, but they're helpless. They can't do no harm anymore. That's what you say, Sarge, but it ain't so. Don't you realize what they're up to? The enemy send a lot of men over to get themselves up. Then when they get enough men back of our line, they start a drive and the prisoners attack us from the rear. It's an old trick, Sarge. I'm surprised you ain't heard about it before. I've heard a lot of hooey in my time. But this is straight goods, I tell you. I read all about their dirty tricks even before I came over. Do you believe all the tripe you read? You don't think they'd go to all the trouble of printing it if it wasn't true? Oh, say, Sarge, you're getting chicken-hearted. you got to realize that in a war, anything you do to the enemy is all right. You believe that, too? Why, sure I believe it. Don't they burn down churches and dash the brains out of innocent babies? Oh, gee, now look. Don't you go getting yourself in an uproar about this. Just leave everything to me. I sure will. The captain said you're just the man for the job. Sure, he's got confidence in me. Why, Sarge, war's war. It ain't no tea party. Those fellas in the sand pit are dirty. And you gotta treat them dirty. We're doing that all right. This is the dirtiest thing I ever heard of. And I hope something will happen to stop it. That's the way you feel about it? I guess you can't help it. Well, the captain wants it done before dark. So you better get your men ready. Okay, Sarge, we'll be ready, all right. Hey, you guys! Load your automatic rifles and make it snappy. We got a little job to do. What do you mean, a little job? We're taking the prisoners out of the sand pit. Where to? Up the ravine. Yeah? What's the idea? We're going to shoot them. What? Shoot them? Shoot them? What for? What have they done? There ain't nothing else we can do with them. We got to get rid of them. Well, what kind of a gag is this, Foster? What are you giving us? I'm giving you the captain's orders, and I don't want no arguments out of you guys. The captain must have gone off his nuts. He expects to go through with this. He's sure crazy. No, he ain't. He knows what he's doing. People who don't understand that this is necessary may think the captain's wrong. But I understand. I think he's doing the right thing. Well, I ain't gonna do it. What? I don't mind killing a man in a fight, but I ain't gonna shoot him down in cold blood. You'll do as you're told. Nobody's making a murderer out of me. If you don't obey the captain's orders, you'll get court-martialed, and maybe we'll have to shoot you, too. But the captain don't dare do a thing like this. He don't dare, tell you. He can't make us do it. Why don't you do it yourself, Foster? You scored with one machine gun. That's enough, Cap. Get your guns and start moving. Now, I ain't gonna fool with you guys anymore. Quiet. You go or you'll get court-martialed. Pipe down. Now, who wants to be the first to disobey orders? I'm waiting. Who's the first? Okay, then. Let's get going. My name is Quaz, Everett Quaz. They told me like they told the others that we were fighting a humanitarian war, a war to save the world, a war to end wars. But I know better now. There's no such thing as a humanitarian war. I know, too, that wars never end. Not for some, anyway. They go on and on. You can forget the war as a whole, sure. 
There's always some incident that sticks in your mind. You live and relive that incident over and over again until you know that there is no end. I was a private in Corporal Foster's squad. I was detailed to guard the prisoners in the sand pit. They were mostly young boys with fine fuzz on their weary faces. They looked sick and hungry. There was one among them, a little man, the clearest blue eyes I'd ever seen. He was much older than the others, and he, he seemed to be the leader. His name was Schmidt. I found out that he was a cabinet maker like myself, and we became good friends. We talked a lot about what he was going to do, and the war would be over. That time, we didn't know anything about Captain Matlock's order. In fact, we had forgotten all about the war for the time being. He told me some darn interesting things about cabinet making where he came from. We sat there in the side of the pit. Far off to our right, the heavy guns were coughing. The minute I saw you, Quals, I knew you were a builder of things, like myself. How did you know, Smith? Your hands. They still have the stain of your trade. See? Mine have, too. Yeah. Nothing can wear that off, I guess. I never wanted to wear off. I'm proud of my trade. I'm proud of my hands. With these two hands, I once made a music cabinet for a prince. Your hands are not like a tradesman's at all. They're, they're long and thin like a musician's or an artist's. Well, that's what we are, called Cabinet makers, they are artists. <laughs> I guess you're right there. Darn few people can ever make a box, much less a cabinet. I learned my trade from my father. But he learned it from his father. It's funny how a trade can bring people together. I, I, I don't feel that you're like a foreigner at all. That's just it, Quals. If we could only stop and realize that the man we fight is a man just like ourselves, then there would be no war. You're all right, Schmidt. Have a cigarette? What? You want to give me one of your cigarettes? Sure, go ahead. Take it. Oh, it's so long since I have a smoke. I bet it'd make me sick. Yeah. I don't. Ah, that's so good. <laughs> oh, Quals, please. Uh, you wouldn't mind if I passed a cigarette among my men. You see how they look at it? No, no, go right ahead. Here, here, Jungens. Jeder nimmt nur einen Zug. Und dann gibt's es zum nächsten. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you for all of my men. Uh, they cannot speak in your language. That's all right, boys. They sure glad that cigarette like they'd eat it. Uh, most of them have not had a smoke in months. Schmidt! Schmidt! Yes, Victor. Uh, what is now? I can't stand it much longer. The pain is too much. Oh, it won't be long now, Victor. Soon they will take us out of here and you will go to a hospital. You think so, Schmidt? Yes, my friend. Soon. Now, now, you uh, save your energy. Here, you have a smoke, too. What's the matter with that youngster, Schmidt? He was shot in the stomach. Only his youth keeps him alive. How old is he? Sixteen years. Oh, child. Comes from the same town as I. He thinks that I can help him. I wish I could. He should be in a hospital. He looks so pale. He had much more bloodless. He should make up their mind what they're going to do with you, man. I'm afraid poor Victor will not be able to wait much longer. Things must be pretty bad in your country when they send babies like that out to fight. It means that the war will be over soon. There's no more men, and I will be glad to get back home. How we used to have such good times before the war. 
after the day's work was done, we got together and we drink beer and we sing songs and... I wonder if we'll ever sing again. Oh, sure. Soon it's over, you'll forget all about it. Hey, what's up? What are they talking about? Why, they're excited because they see a squad of your men coming through the woods. You see over there... Oh, yeah, that's Foster Squad. He's my corporal. You you think that they're going to take us back behind the lines now? I reckon so. It's mm. about time. God. There, Victor. You see? They're coming to take you to the hospital. Good. Maybe they'll fix me. Gosh, I sure envy you, fellas. The war's over for you. No more fighting. No more sleeping in muddy trenches. No more smelling dead flesh. Drury is my name. I just got out of military prison. I served 20 years. I thought I'd be able to start life all over again. I'm only 42 now. But there ain't no starting life again. I thought I'd forget in those 20 years, but I didn't. It was 20 years of thinking thinking of what had happened before I was court-martialed. They say I'm a little queer now. Sturdippy, they call it. <laughs> Nobody wants to have anything to do with me. Yeah, you say I'm a little queer. So is life. I remember when he put a soldier's uniform on me. I thought I looked swell. I did, too. It's a great thing, that uniform. Fitted me like a glove. I was so anxious to prove myself worthy of it. They don't think I did. That's why they threw me in prison. But I know I proved myself worthy of myself. When Corporal Foster marched us into the gravel pit, I was thinking of the same things every other one of the men was. But I put my thoughts in action. We was lined up in front of those 22 frightened prisoners. There was nine of us. The nine was just as scared as the 22. Walls, you're dumb. How many more times do I have to explain this to you? Well, I can't believe it. Foster, such a thing has never been done. Well, I've been telling these men that they were going back behind to have their wounds taken care of. Well, you didn't lie to them. Their wounds will be taken care of, all right. Hey, Drury, what's the matter with you? Pick up your gun, Walt. Ain't no use getting yourself in trouble. What's the idea of throwing your rifle away? I didn't get into this water to think like this. Well, if you thought it was going to be a child's game, you should have brought your dolls and dishes along with you. Now pick up that gun. I ain't never going to touch that gun again. I ain't going to have nothing to do with it. Oh, calm down, Walt. You're getting the prisoners excited. You got a dick for a court martial, Drury? I don't care. I don't care what they do with me. I'm getting out of here. Don't be a stamp, Walt. You can do it if you want to, but I ain't even going to look at it. I'm getting out of here. I ain't going to have no part of it. I'm getting out of here. Hey, Walt. Walt, come back here. Let him go. He won't get far. The military police will pick him up. Then he'll get his. He sure is scared. Scared. He's got more guts than a whole bunch of us. He's got nerve enough to do what we'd all like to do. Well, quit the belly aching and get those men out of the sand pit. we got to be at the ravine before dark. Dark now, Foster. Dark? You're nuts. The sun's still shining. The sun's shining, all right. But it's the darkest day any of us will ever know.
I'm Charles Gordon. I've been around the world a couple of times. I don't know what else to do with myself. But of all the traveling I've ever done, the longest trip of all was the track from the gravel pit to the ravine. The prisoners came out of the pit stolidly, looking neither to the right nor the left. The wood had been raked by artillery fire. They glanced apprehensively over their shoulders at us and began to mutter excitedly. Don't be afraid, men. We're all prisoners and we almost do as we are told. Come on, down in the ravine there. I don't like this here street. All right, Am. Here, here, here. Cut the gap. Get in there. You men, part them along. Oh, please, Corporal. They are frightened. Please be patient. You can't wait here all night. You tell them in your own lingo to get into the ravine. All right, Corporal. Are you in the What's he telling Jim? He's telling him that we wear different uniforms and we speak a different language, but we're made of the same flesh and blood. He's expressing his faith in men, and we're getting ready to kill them. Now they go in. All right, thanks. Now get in yourself. Yes, I will go too. Hey, fast. What do you want, Charles? Do we have to go through with this thing? Sure, unless the captain shows up with a change of heart in the next few minutes. Well, if we have to do it, I want a favor. What is it? That little old fellow with the blue eyes. Will you let me take him back in the woods and shoot him myself? What's the matter? Got a grudge against him? You wouldn't understand. He would. I don't want him to see what we do to his comrades. I don't want him to get hurt. Uh, it can't be done, Qualls. The captain said here, here, it's got to be. But please, Master, you... you Shut up. Get in line. God, I can't do this. I can't do it. Mundy, if you stampede these prisoners, I'll blow your top off. Now get yourself together. Hey, you prisoners, get all the way back in there. Clear over. That's it. Now close in. Keep together. All right, now, fellas. When I give you the signal, let go quick. Spread your fire. Spray them from side to side. Ready now. Let them have it. Fire. Don't go down. Pick up the rifle, Paul. What are you staring at? Smith! 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 Side to side. Come on, there. I'm Dick Mundy. I've always been considered a pretty hard-boiled guy. And I guess I was. I never saw men die just like that before, and it did something to me. I never thought it would take so long before they stopped kicking. I was in a tough spot. Bill Nugent was screaming on one side of me, and the other side was big old Everett Qualls. After the first burst of rifle fire, the gun dropped out of Qualls' hand. He stood there, staring, wild-eyed, at that little blue-eyed cabinet maker. He had shot that little guy right off, but he didn't go down. Everett Qual seemed like he was ready to go berserk. Then the little guy looked straight at Everett, turned his head away, dropped on his face, tried to get up a few times. Finally, flattened out and was still. Corporal Foster marched us back toward our trench. We stopped in the woods to eat grub. Pass that monkey meat along the Monday, Bill. Here you are, Dick. I don't want any. What's the matter? Nothing. 
Nothing at all. Oh, come on, you guys. Snap out of it. You act like they were your own brothers. They were. More so than you. Hey! Two men like us. Farmers. Painters. Bricklayers. Cabinet makers. And we slaughtered them. Oh, God! Oh, forget it, Dick. It wasn't your fault. Come on, get up off the ground, Dick. Have a swig of this. Hey! What happened to an abinet? Where'd he go? He dropped behind a little way back. Nugent, you go back and see what happened to him. Okay, cop. I retraced my steps back through the wood, looking for an avenue. I was thinking of the 22 prisoners in the trenches. Prisoners they were just a few minutes before. They were free now. What of the nine of us? I knew we'd never know freedom again. We were nine prisoners ourselves now. Men whose hearts and minds would be forever locked in our own conscience. Things such as we had done could never be gotten. The ghosts of the 22 will walk with us forever. Before I realized where I was, I stood on the edge of the ravine. There they lay, where we had left them, twisted into grotesque knots, like angleworms in a can. Then I became aware of something moving among them. Looked more closely. And there was Roger and Abinett going through their pockets. I shouted to him. Hey! And Abinett! Oh, hello, Bill. What are you doing here? Suppose you tell me what you're doing here. Oh, just looking for some iron crosses, that's all. Put that stuff back. Oh, Bill, don't be like that. They ain't no good to them squareheads anymore. We might as well have them. I split them with you. What have you got in that other hand? Huh? Oh, oh, those are just some regimental rings and stuff. Nothing of any value. Why, oh, you dirty louse robbing the dead. Well, I'm going to leave you here for somebody else to rob your carcass. Bill. Bill, for God's sake, don't. Bill, that's murder. Don't you realize Well, Bill? no, I sure it's murder. Oh, that's my Bill. trade, ain't it? That's what they trained me oh. for. Well, I'm going to oh. do well by my teachers. Bill! For God's sake, you! My name is James Wade. I was the youngest in Corporal Foster's squad when we went into the ravine. But I was the oldest man in the world coming back. My father was a clergyman. And I was going to be a clergyman just like him. But I knew I could never preach to men about justice, love, and mercy. Those things had vanished from the earth. They were no more. If indeed they ever existed as more than words. Perhaps it wouldn't have shaken my faith so if Captain Matlock hadn't lined us up next day and marched us all to chapel. I could never trust men again. I've, I've been back to that ravine once since that day. The pits and scars have all gone from the land. Abandoned trenches and shell holes are... Now a solid mass of gently sloping vines that ripple all day in the wind. You can tell the places where the men died. The grass is more green. Poppies grow more red and cornflowers more blue. 
Perhaps that's because the soil is fertilized by the blood and bodies of those who fell. More likely, it's because God is so sickened with the things men do to each other that he covers the places where they've been as quickly and completely as possible. They say that war makes beasts of men. But I say that beasts of men make war. You have been listening to the Columbia Workshop's production of Nine Prisoners, the celebrated American short story by William March, adapted for radio by Brian J. Byrne. Special music was composed by Bernard Herman, and the production was under the direction of Earl McGill. Next Monday night at this same time, the Columbia Workshop will present an original play for radio entitled Jury Trial by James and Elizabeth Hart. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. There are a couple things that should be noted. First of all, the incident that is described in um, March's story is not something that has been um, uh, verified. Most of the better-known atrocities during World War I were committed by the Germans and Russians. But at the end of the war, there just was not the interest or desire to create a uh, war crimes tribunal. We don't know just what happened. We do know that March was a decorated Marine in the First World War who had uh, severe psychological trauma as the result of his experiences there. But whether this was an actual true story this happened, we simply uh, don't have any uh, information on that. All right, well, tomorrow we wrap up this series. And we'll have a play by Arch Obler and an appearance by one of history's great giants. Be sure and join us tomorrow as the war continues.